Section thirteen of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. On Thursday, October the nineteenth, I passed the evening with him at his house. He advised me to complete a dictionary of words peculiar to Scotland, of which I showed him a specimen. Sir, said he, Ray has made a collection of North Country words. Footnote. John Ray published in 1674 a collection of English words, etc., and a collection of English proverbs. In 1768 the two were published in one volume. End of footnote. By collecting those of your country, you will do a useful thing towards the history of the language. He bade me also go on with collections which I was making upon the antiquities of Scotland. Make a large book, sir, a folio. Boswell. But of what use would it be, sir? Johnson. Never mind the use. Do it. I complained that he had not mentioned Garrick in his preface to Shakespeare. Footnote. See Boswell's Hebrides, September the 23rd, 1773, end of footnote. And asked him if he did not admire him. Johnson. Yes as a poor player who frets and struts his hour upon the stage, as a shadow, footnote, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5, end of footnote. Boswell, but has he not brought Shakespeare into notice? Footnote. In the Garrick correspondence there is a letter from Mrs. Montague to Garrick which shows the ridiculous way in which Shakespeare was often patronised last century and brought into notice. She says, Mrs. Montague was a little jealous for poor Shakespeare, for if Mr. Garrick often acts kindly, Ben Johnson will eclipse his fame. End of footnote. Johnson, sir, to allow that would be to lampoon the age. Many of Shakespeare's plays are the worse for being acted. Macbeth, for instance. Footnote. Familiar comedy is often more powerful on the theatre than in the page. Imperial tragedy is always less. Johnson's works, volume 5, page 122. See also Boswell's Hebrides, August the 15th and 16th, 1773, where Johnson displayed another of his heterodox opinions, a contempt of tragic acting. Murphy, Life, page 145, thus writes of Johnson's slighting Garrick in the stage, The fact was Johnson could not see the passions as they rose and chased one another in the varied features of that expressive face and by his own manner of reciting verses which was wonderfully impressive he plainly showed that he thought there was too much of artificial tone and measured cadence in the declamation of the theatre reynolds said of johnson's recitation that it had no more tone than it should have Boswell's Hebrides, August the 26th, 1773, see Post, April the 3rd, 1773, end of footnote. Boswell, 
What, sir, is nothing gained by decoration and action? Indeed, I do wish that you had mentioned Garrick. Johnson. My dear sir, had I mentioned him, I must have mentioned many more. Mrs. Pritchard, Mrs. Sibber, nay, and Mr. Sibber too. He too altered Shakespeare. Boswell. You have read his apology, sir? Johnson. Yes, it is very entertaining. But as for Sibber himself, taking from his conversation all that he ought not to have said, he was a poor creature. Footnote. See post April the sixth, seventeen seventy five, where Johnson, speaking of Sibber's talents of conversation, said he had but half to furnish, for one half of what he said was odes. End of footnote. I remember when he brought me one of his odes to have my opinion of it. I could not bear such nonsense, and would not let him read it to the end. So little respect had I for that great man. <laughs> Laughing yet, I remember Richardson wondering that I could treat him with familiarity. I mentioned to him that I had seen the execution of several convicts at Tyburn two days before, and that none of them seemed to be under any concern. Footnote. On October the 18th, one day, not two days before, Four men were hanged at Tyburn for robbery on the highway, one for stealing money and linen, and one for forgery. Gentleman's Magazine. Boswell in the Hypochondriac Number no. 68, London Magazine for 1783, republishes a letter which he had written on April the 25th, 1768, to the public advertiser, after he had witnessed the execution of an attorney named Gibbon and a youthful highwayman, he says, I must confess that I myself am never absent from a public execution. When I first attended them, I was shocked to the greatest degree. I was, in a manner, convulsed with pity and terror, and for several days, but especially nights after, I was in a very dismal situation. Still, however, I persisted in attending them, and by degrees my sensibility abated, so that I can now see one with great composure. I can account for this curiosity in a philosophical manner when I consider that death is the most awful object before every man, whoever directs his thoughts seriously towards futurity. Therefore it is that I feel an irresistible impulse to be present at every execution, as I there behold the various effects of the near approach of death. He maintains that the curiosity which impels people to be present at such affecting scenes is certainly a proof of sensibility, not of callousness, for it is observed that the greatest proportion of the spectators is composed of women. See post, June the 23rd, 1784, end of footnote. None of them seem to be under any concern. Johnson. Most of them, sir, have never thought at all. Boswell. But is not the fear of death natural to man? Johnson. So much so, sir, that the whole of life 
is but keeping away the thoughts of it. Footnote. Of Johnson, perhaps, might almost be said what he said of Swift, works, volume 8, page 207. The thoughts of death rushed upon him at this time with such incessant importunity that they took possession of his mind when he first waked for many hours together. Writing to Mrs. Thrale from Lichfield on October the 27th, 1781, he says, All here is gloomy, a faint struggle with the tediousness of time, a doleful confession of present misery, and the approach, seen and felt, of what is most dreaded and most shunned. But such is the lot of man. Piozzi letters in a footnote. He then, in a low and earnest tone, talked of his meditating upon the awful hour of his own dissolution, and in what manner he should conduct himself upon that occasion. I know not, said he, whether I should wish to have a friend by me, or have it all between God and myself. Talking of our feeling for the distresses of others, Johnson, my sir, there is much noise made about it, but it is greatly exaggerated. No, sir, we have a certain degree of feeling to prompt us to do good. More than that, providence does not intend. It will be misery to no purpose. Footnote. Johnson, during a serious illness, thus wrote to Mrs. Thrale. When any man finds himself disposed to complain with how little care he is regarded, let him reflect how little he contributed to the happiness of others, and how little, for the most part, he suffers from their pain. It is perhaps not to be lamented that those solicitudes are not long nor frequent, which must commonly be vain. Nor can we wonder that, in a state in which all have so much to feel of their own evils, very few have leisure for those of another. Piozzi letters see post september the fourteenth seventeen seventy seven end of footnote boswell but suppose now sir that one of your intimate friends were apprehended for an offence for which he might be hanged johnson i should do what i could to bail him and give him any other assistance but if he were once fairly hanged i should not suffer boswell would you eat your dinner that day, sir? Johnson. Yes, sir. And eat it as if he were eating it with me. Why, there's Baretti, who is to be tried for his life to-morrow. Friends have risen up for him on every side, yet, if he should be hanged, none of them will eat a slice of plum pudding the less. So that sympathetic feeling goes a very little way in depressing the mind. Footnote. I was shocked to find a letter from Dr. Holland to the effect that poor Harry Hallam is dying at Siena, in square brackets, Vienna. What a trial for my dear old friend. I feel for the lad himself, too, much distressed. I dined, however. We dined unless the blow comes very, very near the heart indeed. Macaulay's life, end of footnote. 
I told him that I had dined lately at Foote's, who showed me a letter which he had received from Tom Davies, telling him that he had not been able to sleep from the concern which he felt on account of this sad affair of Baretti. Footnote. See post February the 24th, 1773, for a furious quarrel between Davies and Baretti. End of footnote begging of him to try if he could suggest anything that might be of service, and at the same time recommending to him an industrious young man who kept a pickle shop. Johnson. No, sir. Here you have a specimen of human sympathy. A friend hanged, and a cucumber pickled. We know not whether Baretti or the pickle man has kept Davies from sleep, nor does he know himself. And as to his not sleeping, sir, Tom Davies is a very great man. Tom has been upon the stage, and knows how to do those things. I have not been upon the stage, and cannot do those things. Boswell. I have often blamed myself, sir, for not feeling for others as sensibly as many say they do. Johnson. Sir, don't be duped by them any more. You will find these very feeling people are not very ready to do you good. They pay you by feeling. Boswell. Foot has a great deal of humour. Johnson. Yes, sir. Boswell. He has a singular talent of exhibiting character. Johnson. Sir, it is not a talent. It is a vice. It is what others abstain from. It is not comedy which exhibits the character of a species, as that of a miser gathered from many misers. It is farce which exhibits individuals. Boswell. Did he not think of exhibiting you, sir? Johnson. Sir, fear restrained him. He knew I would have broken his bones. I would have saved him the trouble of cutting off a leg. I would not have left him a leg to cut off. Had. For two or three years before this, had lost one leg through an accident in hunting, Forster's Essays. See post under February the 7th, 1775, and a footnote. Boswell. Pray, sir, is not Foot an infidel? Johnson. I do not know, sir, that the fellow is an infidel, but if he be an infidel, he is an infidel as a dog is an infidel. That is to say, he has never thought upon the subject. Footnote. When Mr. Foote was at Edinburgh, he thought fit to entertain a numerous Scotch company with a great deal of coarse jocularity at the expense of Dr. Johnson, imagining it would be acceptable. I felt this as not civil to me, but sat very patiently till he had exhausted his merriment on that subject, and then observed that surely Johnson must be allowed to have some sterling wit, and that I had heard him say a very good thing of Mr. Foote himself. Ah, my old friend Sam, cried Foote, no man says better things. Do let us have it. Upon which I told the above story which produced a very loud laugh from the company. But I never saw Foote so disconcerted. He looked grave and angry, and entered into a serious refutation of the justice of the remark.
what sir said he talk thus of a man of liberal education a man who for years was at the university of oxford a man who has added sixteen new characters to the english drama of his country Boswell. foot was at worcester college but he left without taking his degree he was constantly in scrapes when the provost dr gower who was a pedant sent for him to reprimand him foot would present himself with great apparent gravity and submission but with a large dictionary under his arm when on the doctor beginning in his usual pompous manner with a surprisingly long word he would immediately interrupt him and after begging pardon with great formality would produce his dictionary and pretending to find the meaning of the word would say very well sir now please to go on forster's essays dr gower is mentioned by dr king anecdotes as one of the three persons he had known who spoke english with that elegance and propriety that if all they had said had been immediately committed to writing any judge of the language would have pronounced it an excellent and very beautiful style the other two were bishop atterbury and dr johnson End of footnote. Boswell. i suppose sir he has thought superficially and seized the first notions which occurred to his mind johnson why then sir still he is like a dog that snatches the piece next him did you never observe that dogs have not the power of comparing a dog will take a small piece of meat as readily as a large when both are before him buchanan he observed has fewer centos than any modern latin poet Footnote. cento a composition formed by joining scrapes from other authors johnson's dictionary and a footnote he not only had great knowledge of the latin language but was a great poetical genius both the scaligers praise him he again talked of the passage in congreve with high commendation and said shakespeare never has six lines together without a fault perhaps you may find seven but this does not refute my general assertion if i come to an orchard and say there's no fruit here and then comes a pouring man who finds two apples and three pears and tells me so you are mistaken i have found both apples and pears i should laugh at him what would that be to the purpose boswell what do you think of dr young's night thoughts sir johnson why sir there are very fine things in them footnote see boswell's hebrides september the thirtieth seventeen seventy three and the footnote boswell is there not less religion in the nation now sir than there was formerly johnson i don't know sir that there is boswell for instance there used to be a chaplain in every great family which we do not find now footnote for the position of these chaplains see the tatler number two five five and the guardian number one six three and a footnote johnson neither do you find any of the state servants 
which great families used formerly to have. There is a change of modes in the whole department of life. Next day, October the 20th, he appeared, for the only time I suppose in his life, as a witness in a court of justice, being called to give evidence to the character of Mr. Baretti, who, having stabbed a man in the street, was arraigned at the Old Bailey for murder. Footnote. He had been assailed in the grossest manner possible by a woman of the town, and driving her off with a blow, was set upon by three bullies. He thereupon ran away in great fear, for he was a timid man, and being pursued, had stabbed two of the men with a small knife he carried in his pocket. Garrick and Beauclerc testified that everyone abroad carried such a knife, for in foreign inns only forks were provided. When you travel abroad, do you carry such knives as this? Garrick was asked. Yes, he answered or we should have no victuals. Dr. Johnson, his friends and his critics, page 288. I have extracted from the sessional reports for 1769 the following evidence to Mr. Baretti's character. Sir Joshua Reynolds. I have known Mr. Baretti fifteen or sixteen years. He is a man of great humanity and very active in endeavouring to help his friends. He is a gentleman of a good temper. I never knew him quarrelsome in my life. He is of a sober disposition. This affair was on a club night of the Royal Academicians. We expected him there and were inquiring about him before we heard of this accident. He is secretary for foreign correspondence. Dr. Johnson I believe I began to be acquainted with Mr. Baretti about the year 53 or 54. I have been intimate with him. He is a man of literature, a very studious man, a man of great diligence. He gets his living by study. I have no reason to think he was ever disordered with liquor in his life, a man that I never knew to be otherwise than peaceable, and a man that I take to be rather timorous. Question. Was he addicted to pick up women in the street? Dr. Johnson. I never knew that he was. Question. How is he as to his eyesight? Dr. Johnson. He does not see me now, nor I do not sick see him. I do not believe he could be capable of assaulting anybody in the street without great provocation. Edmund Burke, Esquire. I have known him between three and four years. He is an ingenious man, a man of remarkable humanity, a thorough good-natured man. David Garrick, Esquire. I never knew a man of a more active benevolence. He is a man of great probity and morals. Dr. Goldsmith. I have had the honour of Mr. Baretti's company in my chambers at the temple, he is a most humane, benevolent, peaceable man. He is a man of as great humanity as any in the world. Mr. Fitzherbert and Dr. Halifax also gave evidence. There were divers other gentlemen in court to speak for his character, but the court thought it needless to call them. 
it is curious that boswell passes over reynolds and goldsmith among the witnesses baretti's bail before lord mansfield were burke garrick reynolds and fitzherbert mrs piozzi tells the following anecdotes of baretti when johnson and burke went to see him in newgate they had small comfort to give him and bid him not hope too strongly why what can he fear says baretti placing himself between them that holds two such hands as i do an italian came one day to baretti when he was in newgate to desire a letter of recommendation for the teaching his scholars when he baretti should be hanged you rascal replies baretti in a rage if i were not in my own apartment i would kick you downstairs directly haywood's piozzi dr t campbell in his diary wrote on april the first seventeen seventy five boswell and baretti as i learned are mortal foes so much so that murphy and mrs thrale agreed that boswell expressed the desire that baretti should be hanged upon that unfortunate affair of his killing etc never did such a constellation of genius enlighten the awful sessions house emphatically called justice hall mr burke mr garrick mr beauclerc and dr johnson and undoubtedly their favourable testimony had due weight with the court and jury johnson gave his evidence in a slow deliberate and distinct manner which was uncommonly impressive it is well known that mr baretti was acquitted end of section thirteen